Hi everyone, this is Brant Van Rokel, lead pastor of Christ City Kitsilano, and I want to let you know about a couple of things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us at Fifth Avenue Cinema on Burrard Street at 9.30 a.m. We meet every Sunday morning for worship, word, and sacrament, and we'd love for you to join us there. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church Kitsilano is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to hear more about what God has called us to here in Kitsilano, then please reach out to me at brant at christcitychurch.ca or you can visit christcitychurch.ca slash Kitsilano. The scripture reading today is taken from Jonah 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, welcome here uh, this morning. Um, we are now in our fourth week in our six-week series in the book of Jonah. And uh, that means we're more than halfway through. I hope it's been uh, helpful and fruitful for you in your lives already. But we're going to jump in right away. But first, I would ask you to pray with me. God, we come to you this morning and we ask for your help that we would understand your word, that we would have soft and sensitive hearts to receive what you are teaching us through this passage and through this book. We pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would be um, churning towards you, um, softened in our own rebellion, Father, and the many ways that all of us still have um, some churning to do towards you. Lord, would you give us great courage in recognizing that you are the God of mercy who saves. Lord, that you are uh, are incredible in your saving work that you love to save sinners. So would we uh, hope in you this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, every time we see someone become a Christian in our lives, we are witnessing a profound miracle of God. We talked about that a little bit at the beginning of the sermon last week, but it's worth emphasizing again. Salvation is a miracle that God does, not that we do. It's a miracle that God does. For example, 
We don't come and watch baptism testimonies during our, our time of the year when we watch the baptism testimonies here at the church in the same way that we watch award ceremonies. Think of the last award ceremonies that you've witnessed and the kind of speeches that are given at award ceremonies, just praising the person for their giftedness and intelligence and the work ethic and their accomplishments. We don't watch baptism testimonies like that because baptism testimonies are all about the God who saves and the way that we need his salvation, the way that he has done this incredible work for us in his grace. And that just confirms what we've just read and what Jonah himself, Jonah himself says in chapter 2, verse 10, that salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So we're going to be learning this week, but it's also what we were learning last week. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Last week we saw God working his incredible salvation by the remarkable way that he saved these sailors. Jonah and his reluctance uh, these sailors who did not know God, and yet here God works powerfully and he saves them in this incredible way. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And this week we're going to see again that salvation belongs to the Lord, but in a different way. We're going to see it in the way that God saved his rebellious prophet. Where that God saved his rebellious prophet just shows us that he is the God who saved, that salvation belongs to him. So we're going to see that salvation belongs to the Lord in three points this morning. First, by looking at Jonah's sin. Second, at Jonah's cry for mercy. And third, at the salvation of God. See, the starting place for seeing the salvation that belongs to the Lord in Jonah's life is through Jonah's sin. So we're going to start right there in that first point, Jonah's sin. Because Jonah, as we know at this point in the story, before he prayed the prayer that we just read, we know that he went into the water still fighting God. We know that he'd rather die than repent. He'd rather die than repent. And after all, conceivably, he could have repented, couldn't he? We haven't asked that question yet, but, but was this the only way to save the sailors? Was this the only way things could have gone? No, repentance could have happened. He could have just turned around. See, in Hebrew, by the way, the word for repent means to churn or to return. Shuv. And Jonah could have churned. Could have gone back to the land of Israel and gotten on his knees, confessed his sin to God. And I think that would have taken care of things right there. But he didn't do that. He went into the water, still fighting God, going to his watery grave. And in his prayer from the belly of the fish in chapter 2, Jonah describes what it took for him to repent of his hard-hearted rebellion against God. So what did it take for God to move this prophet who was willing to go to his death in his rebellion? What did it take for God to soften his heart and to change him? Well, it took experiencing a deep descent into the consequence of his sins. For Jonah to repent, it took him experiencing a deep descent into the consequences of his sin. Right? Because God had called Jonah to go somewhere. He'd called him to arise and to go to Nineveh. This kind of upward motion into life in obedience toward God. But Jonah, in his rebellion, he went the other direction. He went down further away from God to Joppa and then down further onto the boat and then across the waters. And then we see now it took him to descent into death into the water. So the path of life is always upward upward. 
in obedience to Yahweh. And the path of death is always downwards in disobedience away from him. And in verses 3 to 6, Jonah describes his descent into death. In verse 3, Jonah says his sin took him down to the point of receiving God's justice. He said, for you cast me into the deep in verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. So when we read this story, if we just read chapter 1, and we ask the question, who cast Jonah into the sea? Well, obviously the answer would be the sailors. But when we look at this passage, significantly we realize that Jonah now, in the belly of the fish, began to recognize that there was more going on than just his choices and his rebellion and all that he experienced. Jonah starts to realize that his sin had led him to experience God's sovereign hand of justice against him. He says, you cast me into the deep in verse 3. But he says more than that, because not only does Jonah's sin lead him away from life and obedience and further deep into death by experiencing God's justice, by being cast in the water, Jonah's rebellion and turning away from God, that leads him further than that. It leads him down to death away from the presence of God. Now, if you remember back in chapter 1, verse 3, it seems like that's what Jonah wanted. In 1, verse 3, he said, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. It seems like he wants to get away from God's presence. But isn't it true that sometimes the things that we want in the moment turn out to be a lot different than what we'd hope them to be? See, wanting and getting can be two different things in our lives. It's true for me, it's probably true for you, that we often want things that are horribly destructive. And when finally Jonah gets a little bit of what he asked for away from the presence of the Lord as he drifts down into the sea, he experienced how terrifying that is. This movement away from God, the separation from God. And in verse 40, he says, I am driven away from your sight. And it's a, it's a lament, it's terror, it's confusion, it's the agony of the suffering of being away from God. See, Christ City, what we need to realize is that there's no more terrifying prospect than to be away from the presence of the Lord. Nothing more terrifying than that in life. Nothing more terrifying than to be driven from God's sight and out of his presence. So the God of the Bible is the life giver. He's a life sustainer. He's the creator of every good and perfect gift. James chapter 1 verse 17 actually describes that every good and perfect gift is from God. So think about your life for a second. Think of all that you enjoy, whether you know God here, whether you're a follower of Jesus here or you're not this morning. Think about all that God has given you. Every good thing that, that you experience, it's from this God. It's because of his sustaining life. It's because he in his presence is everywhere just showering you with his grace and his mercy. And to be separated from the life giver is to be separated from all of that goodness, all of that life. And friends, the Bible teaches actually that, that hell, that the final consequence of our sin in the words of the Bible, that getting what we want away from the Lord is at minimum to be separated from God 
forever. To be removed from all of that goodness, from all of that life. Now, I used to hear um, from time to time when I was uh, working in construction with some of the friends that I worked with there, and they'd say kind of these offhand things. They'd say, well, to be honest, I'd rather, I'd rather be in hell than actually have to follow God according to his righteousness, because at least in hell I could party with my friends. Right? And that, that's what they said, but they don't realize what we're talking about right here. Right? That to be separated from God means that all that's good for the party goer, the good drink and the good food and the friendship and the moments of enjoyment that come from that, that that's gone. That all that's good that comes from the hand of a good God as a life giver is gone. And as Jonah drifted down, it's a consequence of his sin. He suddenly realized that he was getting what he asked for. And he was terrified. But in verses 5 to 6, Jonah continues to describe his descent of rebellion away from God and where it led him. In the final stage, and he says this, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. See, Jonah's description here is of a place in the ancient Hebrew standing, Hebrew understanding that was as far away from life as you could go. They had a way of kind of conceptualizing the world and he was describing that in these verses. And that place down at the bottom of the ocean, at the roots of the mountains, behind the bars of the earth, this is a place that is as far away from life as you can get. We're trying to explain is poetically using this imagery to communicate that, that his sin had led him to the uttermost places of death. And it was here, finally brought low to death, that Jonah truly felt the full weight of his sin and his rebellion. And I want you to know something, Christy. I want you to learn something from this. I want you to see from this passage and learn the easy way. Because there are only two ways to learn the seriousness of our sin in this life. There's only two ways. You know what they are? We can humble ourselves to read and obey God's word or we can experience God's judgment. There's just, there's just two ways to learn about the seriousness of our sin and our rebellion against God. To humble ourselves, to, to learn from and, and read his Bible and his word or to experience his judgment. And Jonah, he chose the hard way. Jonah chose the hard way. See, before he went down to Joppa, away from the Lord, he could have done something differently. He could have opened his Bible. Right? If, if you're struggling with obedience to God right now, you can open your Bible. You can come to, to God in prayer and say, God, it's really hard and I don't get it. Like, I, help me here. I see what you're saying and, and it, there's just this anxiety and struggle in my life and, and I doubt that it's going to lead to the life that you promise. I'm not sure. You can talk to God about those things. And you can ask him in his grace and his mercy, God, would you by the Holy Spirit, would you help me to see your word for what it is and your compassion, your goodness. Would you help me to, to receive this word of life and to obey it? See, Jonah could have wrestled with God and he could have worked through his problems that way, but he didn't do that. He chose the hard way. He, he ran from God like you and I so often do as well. 
The problem is that when we ignore God's words, when we go the hard way and live contrary to his commands, we demonstrate that we've forgotten the nature of the reality that we live in. Jonah couldn't get away from this God he was rebelling from, and neither can you. Neither can I. So if you have forgotten, and we all need a reminder from time to time about the, the nature of the reality that we live in according to the Bible, let me tell you. You want to know what reality is according to the Bible? It's this. You live in God's world. He created you. He is a sovereign God who made all things, who is good and who is love. This world is his. And if that's true, if there really is a God over this world, that's the the big starting place for Christianity. If there really is a God, if it's not just atoms bouncing around at random, but there's a God who's the creator, then what he says matters then what his opinion is matters because it's going to work out his way anyway. He is the God of reality and we are just his creatures. And our rebellion then against him, it's never going to work out for us. Never. Even if in his mercy and his grace, he allows us to go on in our rebellion for a little while. So the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 6 verses 7 to 8, Do not be deceived. Christ said, don't be deceived this morning. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. He's talking about the principle of the farm, of planting. It's not very complicated. You put into the soil what you get out of the soil. But you put into the soil and you get that thing out a little while after you sow it. We can be sowing for a while before we reap the harvest. And Paul's saying, remember that and know that God's not mocked what you're sowing today that you will reap. He says, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. He's talking about the sinful flesh, our our sinful uh, desires within us and the way that we live into those. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And Jesus himself says in Revelation 22, A further warning, a warning from Jesus' own lips. If you have a conception this morning that that the, the Jesus of the New Testament is different than the God of the Old Testament, let me correct you. As Jesus says in Revelation 22, verses 12 to 15, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. He's talking about the the imagery of being washed and forgiven in the blood of Jesus, turning from our sin, receiving his mercy. Blessed are those who do that so they may have the right to the tree of life that they may enter the gates by the the city by the gates. He's talking about the eternal city, the, the, the end time when all is finally done. He says, outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Separation from God forever. Friends, there are only two ways to learn the seriousness of our sin. We can humble ourselves to listen to the Bible and to obey it, or we can experience God's judgment. So what's God's word saying to you today? Just think about it for a minute. Where is he wanting to talk to you? speak to you through his word to teach you the easy way to lead you to turn to him
Rebellion is going to lead down to death, but repentance and obedience will lead upward to life. So we see that salvation belongs to the Lord first because it is God himself who has to lead Jonah to this point where he sees his sin for what it is. Right? God had to do that. He had to cast Jonah into the waters so Jonah would begin to see, oh shoot, my sin's serious. Right? Salvation belongs to the Lord. But in our second point, Jonah's cry for mercy, we'll see that salvation belongs to the Lord in a different way. We'll see that God isn't vindictive. He's not a God who delights in the death of the wicked. Ezekiel 33.11 says that. No, he's a God who allows us to experience the consequences of sin for a reason. Because in his love, he wants to humble us and to turn us to repentance so that he can save us. It's the kind of God that he is. Look at verses 7 to 9 and see the way that God led Jonah to cry out for mercy in this place of humility. Jonah says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. It was when my life was fainting away. When I was at the brink, the lowest point, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So Christ City, question for you. When did Jonah cry out to God for mercy? Was it when he was mid-air between the, the boat and the water? Was it as he began his descent into the water? No, it wasn't any of those things. Jonah had to go all the way down to the bottom. All the way down to the bottom. He was so proud and hard-hearted in his sin, God had to bring him all the way down, all the way low before God could lift him up. And I'm wondering how many of us are like Jonah in this room? How many of us did God have to bring to the breaking point before we repented and cried to him for mercy? I think there's a lot of us. It's true in my life. I'm sure it's true in yours. Because just like Jonah, we can be so stubborn in our sin. And know this, Christ City, just like Jonah, we can be so stubborn in our sin even after we already believe and trust in Jesus as our Savior. We can still want to hang on to that thing and not repent. For example, how often have you struggled to confess your own sin to others? To just admit it for what it is? Whether it's to a friend that you've sinned against, Maybe it's a child or maybe an adult child that, that you just don't have the courage to speak honestly to about what you've done. Maybe you're aware that you are in a place of disobedience to God in some area of your life and you just really don't want to give it up. You really don't want to obey him as he calls you to obey him, to, to take that step of faith, to go on a mission for him, to share him with others, whatever it might be. And you're like, I just won't do it, God. No. <laughs> See, confessing and repenting of our sin is hard. It feels like death. But fighting God is harder. Fighting God is harder and you won't win. In Psalm 32, verses 3 to 4, we read about David's experience of fighting God and his sin. He said this, 
For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Have you experienced that? I have. Right? It's like, I won't give in, God. There's no way. (laughs) You just feel this weight. And you know he's going to move me. He's working on me. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. You know why you don't want to do it? It's because sin makes you stubborn. Sin makes you an unpleasant person who's stubborn and arrogant, who's willing to hurt yourself and even those you love most rather than repent and turn to God in humility. This is the nature of sin. It's an awful thing. But you need to know something. God loves you enough to apply some pressure. And in our rebellion, he places his heavy hand on us in his mercy and his kindness. See, he brought Jonah down to the ocean depths, not because he hated Jonah, but because he loved Jonah. He brought him down to the ocean depths as an act of his severe mercy to show him how serious his sin was, to lead him to repentance, to lead him to salvation. To lead him to real repentance, by the way, and not just empty words. Remember the way that I was saying that the Hebrew word for repentance is churn, right? So it's kind of depicting this picture of Jonah sailing one direction and to repent would have been just to churn the course of his life and go the other way. This is what God wants from Jonah. He doesn't want empty words. After all, before God humbled him, one of the greatest ironies of the book was that Jonah said all the right things while he was going the wrong direction. So often that's true in our lives. We say all the right things, but we're going the wrong direction. And it's not what God's after. See, when the sailors asked him, Jonah said, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. I fear the Lord, but I won't obey him. He's saying it with his mouth. He's not saying it with his life. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. It sounded good, but it was all just empty piety. And God doesn't want our empty piety. God wants us to turn the ship of our lives around and obey him. Repentance, to churn. Churn that ship. Go the other way. There's an implication here that I think we need to realize. It's a hard one, but it's one that I don't think I would be a good pastor if I didn't share with you. And it's this. Coming here and singing songs and just going through the motions of the Christian life Without repentance that's willing to obey God, it's just empty words. It's just empty words. And that too, though maybe we don't feel like Jonah running to Tarshish, is also a kind of rebellion. And what God wants is your heart. He wants your heart. All of it. He wants your heart genuine, humble, contrite, And he says in Isaiah 66, verse 2, This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. See, Jonah chapter 2, I think it's an opportunity for all of us to learn the easy way. And I just pray that we would learn the easy way. 
So I want to know, where is God's hand heavy on you this morning? Can I encourage you not to fight it? The author of Hebrews says, today is the day of salvation. He says, do not harden your heart if you hear his voice. Christ said, don't harden your heart if you hear God's voice this morning through his word. Confess your sin. Turn from it and toward him in obedience. And hear the warning of David in Psalm 32 verse 9. It says, be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle. Is don't, don't be the one that you got to force to go where you got to go. Just be humble. Come before God and obey him. And if you're struggling with that, I want to encourage you to look to Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So if you want to know how serious your sin and your rebellion is, look to Jesus. It took Jesus' death to pay for it, and it took his resurrection to fix what broke. That's how serious your sin is. It took Jesus' death to pay for it and it took his resurrection to fix fix all that we've broken in our sin. So let him humble us by receiving his love that we don't deserve, but he's willing to give you. Let him pay the price for your sin that cost more than you could pay. And let him give you the life that you can't get on your own, but that he freely pours out to all who turn to him. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And it belongs to him because we need him to show us our sin, to humble us to repentance, and to save us where we cannot save ourselves. So look at our last point, the salvation of God in verses 2, 3, 6, and 9. Jonah says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Praise God. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. See, in the story of Jonah's life, none of his rebellion led him where he wanted it to go. None of it. He tried a lot of things. None of it worked out. But everything that God did to save him was powerfully effective. Isn't that incredible? Salvation belongs to the Lord. I think Jonah's life is meant to remind us that God is the one who is sovereign over the circumstances of our salvation. Because in Jonah's life, God's the one who appointed the storm that terrified Jonah and the sailors. God appointed the lots to move Jonah to speak that led to Jonah being cast into the sea. And as Jonah drifted down to his death, God used his suffering to reveal his sin and cause him to cry out for mercy. God is in control. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And that's really good news for us. Because it means this. It means that all of your efforts and all of my efforts to run from God and to shipwreck our lives are not stronger than his salvation. Praise God. All your efforts to run your life aground, that's not bigger than the God who saves. He's a good God who saves. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And Jonah's life in this story, it's good news in another way. Because Jonah at the bottom of the ocean reminds us that the gospel of Jesus isn't that God saves those who are good enough to be loved by him. Just the opposite. See, Jonah didn't have to swim up climb back on the boat, head back to his land 
traveled to Nineveh, and then God saved him. It didn't work that way. God saved Jonah when Jonah was on the bottom. See, God is in the business of saving sinners. We see this all throughout the story of the Bible again and again and again. God saving in his mercy and his grace, not because of what we've earned or deserved. We see that, for example, in the life of David. Right? He sinned by committing adultery with Bathsheba and murdering her husband, and yet God is the God who saves, who forgives, who restores. We see Peter, who disowned Jesus three times during his trial and abandoned him at the cross. Jesus is the one who restores him to ministry. We see Paul, who was a persecutor of Jesus' church. He was there presiding over those who were putting Christians to death. And yet, what does God do? Jesus stops Paul and he saves him when he's at the bottom. See, God saves all of these examples in the Bible to remind us that he's the God who saves sinners, not when they've climbed and got themselves out of the hole, but when they're at the bottom. He's the God who saves in his mercy and grace. And nobody here has sunk too far for him to reach. None of you have. I'm sure some of you feel that way. It's not true. God is the God who saves. The Apostle Paul, he talks about God's grace for hopeless sinners when he writes in Ephesians 2, 4-7, these incredible words. He says, God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were like Jonah at the bottom, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God wants to bless you. He's a God lavish and generous in his love and his grace. He wants to give you more than you yet even know to ask him for. He's so rich in his goodness and his blessing and his mercy. No matter how far you are from him running the other direction, he wants to give those things to you. He just asks, would you come to me? Humble yourself. Confess your sins. Ask me to save you. See, this is all given to us through Jesus. Because God, through Jesus, has done all that is needed to save every one of us forever. Jesus' death on the cross is enough to pay for your sin and to make you right before God. You need to know that. His resurrection is enough to fix all that you've broken and even all that's broken in this world. His ascension to the Father means he's able to pour out his Holy Spirit into you to change you, to begin to, to change that old person you used to be and reform you in a different way, to form you into all that he intended you to become and your beauty and goodness and the grace that he wants to lavish on you. All we need to do is cry out to him in humility and repentance and ask him. Because he promises in his word that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Our job is to keep turning to him in repentant faith. Turning away from sin as we need to. Trusting that he has done enough to save us. His job is to save each and every one of us finally and completely. 
We got to get those jobs right. Ours is the repentance and faith part. His is the saving part. He's good at the saving part. We can trust him. God's the sort of God of mercy and compassion who understands that you are like Jonah. He understands that I am a messy person like Jonah is. See, we're going to read chapter 3 and 4 and study them in the next couple of weeks. And we're going to see Jonah went back to his old ways pretty quick. But that should be an encouragement to us. Right? Because God is in the business of saving people who have to keep repenting. Right? The danger that we have is when we stop repenting. So we no longer trust that God can save someone like me. And we no longer think that repentance of my sin is necessary. Those things, don't do either of those two things. Keep repenting of your sin. Keep trusting that God's done all that he needs to save you. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So where is God pressing in on you to show you your sin this morning? Where does he want to humble you to repentance? Where does he want to remind you that he really is the God who saves and he can save you? Would you pray with me? Father, I ask in the name of Jesus Christ, your son, with the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would do something in us this morning to receive your word, to turn from sin, to cling to Jesus as our savior. Lord, would you Help us to become more holy and righteous, devoted to you in all the ways uh, that you desire. God, we thank you that you never give up on us. Lord, that despite all of our efforts to, to turn away from you, you are the God who pursues, the God who saves, the God who humbles and leads to repentance. We thank you for that. We thank you. And Lord, even for the suffering in our lives, we know not all of it is caused because of our sin. We know that some of it's caused by other people's sin or just sin in general that broke this world. And yet we thank you that you don't waste the tears of your saints, that you use them to, to draw us closer to you, to trust you, to turn from our sins. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.